Well, remember that we are in the story of, uh, of Joseph, the Hebrew prince of Egypt, and we are considering the first lesson coming out of this story, pride and privilege, what you're born with. And last week and this week and next week, I'm trying to take that principle a little deeper in the lesson of who I am. Last week we dealt with me. Today we deal with me and those that I love. There's trouble in the house. From the story we see that. Joseph, his brothers, Jacob, they're fighting. The point is, we often hurt the ones we love most. This all started in the garden with Adam and Eve, and what I believe are foundational causes and results of the spiritual problems we have that lead to so many of the problems that we struggle with with ourselves and with those that we love. Sin is the cause. Fear is the response. Adam is afraid, so he first blames Eve. She did it. Eve then blames the serpent, and we've been passing the buck ever since. Now, did you hear what we're going to try and tackle today? I just said an awful lot. Cause, how did we get into this mess? Disposition, why we keep perpetuating the problem. And fear, what motivates us to do so much of what we do? There is trouble in the house, and it applies to every one of us. How it shows up, what we do with it, how we manage it, differs a great deal. But these dynamics that are present are present everywhere in each relationship. We have much to learn here. That's why I'm doing this. Because it's wiser to learn. Because we have not mastered the answers to these problems. Statistically speaking, the odds are frightening as to what kind of domestic troubles are represented in this room right here. Oh, but we're exceptions to that, right? This doesn't happen here, does it? These problems problems only happen, well, you know, with them. Sorry. The statistics, the studies, my own experience tell me otherwise. I'm going to leave the statistics and the studies to the adult teaching team this Saturday night on the 27th. And there will be those, and I really encourage you to be there. But I leave those statistics with them because without a context for discussing those, you will likely dismiss them. In doing so, you remove yourself from the reality, the truth... (laughs) that we are no better than our predecessors, Adam and Eve. We all have room to grow in the things that we need to address in the trouble in the house. And that's why today the jacket looks the way it does. It's a mess, isn't it? Since there's so much blame to go around, let's start with who's at fault. The cause. 
This is how sin is possible, and this is why you're responsible. You're a sinner by nature, and that means that you're prone to sin, but you are also a sinner by choice. You are empowered with volition for which you are responsible. And we do not get to explain this way, though we like to. We like to be able to say, well, I'm a product of my past, or somebody made me do it. But this is not reasonable. Because you have a power of volition, a will, to choose whether you will do something or not. Just because you could do something doesn't mean that you have to. After all, when God came in the garden and was looking for Adam and knew that he had sinned, he didn't say, now who made you do that? His words were, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat from? It isn't anyone else who made you sin. Not God, not the devil. You did it. Listen to Norm Geisler, theologian and philosopher. If neither the devil nor God made me do it, then who did? The biblical answer is, I did. That is, the I, the self, is the cause of evil. How? By means of the good power of free choice that God gave me. Some object to this reasoning, claiming that it can't be correct because every event has a cause, even our actions. In other words, someone must have made me do it. This is his response. Every event does have a cause, but not every cause has a cause. Every painting has a painter, but not every painter is painted. If every cause had a cause, then God could not be the first uncaused cause that He is. Hence, it's even more to, uh, absurd to ask, who made God? God is the unmade maker. And it's absurd to ask, who made the unmade? Pursuing the question even further is like insisting that there must be an answer to the question, who is the bachelor's wife? Bachelors don't have wives. And the uncaused being does not have a cause. Likewise, if the creature, by means of the good power of free church, free choice, is the first cause of evil, then no cause of this evil action should be sought other than the person who caused it. Now, that was pretty heavy. If not just plain confusing, right? And that's nothing. You should read the book. Uh, Free by choice, so I'll loan it to you if you want. It's fascinating, actually, but it's tough to follow. Let me make this as simple as possible. You see, we have been told something that doesn't really make much sense, and we have been convinced that though we're not perfect, ultimately it's not our fault. There must be some other cause. But I don't think so, and that certainly isn't what the Bible teaches. Let me give you an example. I'm the son of a very determined father, and family line for that, ma for that matter. My dad was a leader. He was a man of initiative and he didn't wait for others to act. He and his brother met Jesus Christ in a real and personal and believing way at a summer camp when they were 10 and 11 years old. In response to God's love for him and forgiveness that he understood, he gave his life to the Lord, all of it, and he never looked back. They returned home to their widowed mother and told her that they had been born again. She had no idea what they meant. But she saw these two young men read their Bibles and pray every night before they went to sleep. This was not a fad for a season. They continued and their lives and behavior changed. So she began a pilgrimage of trying to find a place that taught what had changed her boys' lives. She wanted the same thing. 
She didn't find it for an entire year. A year later, they returned to the same summer camp and when they found uh, where they had found their new life in Christ, and this time they returned with the news that uh, they were now going to be missionaries. You guessed it. They never looked back. Eventually, one went to Africa. The other went to Korea. They were determined individuals, as was their mother. She would not give up on her search either. It took almost two years in the 1930s in the northern suburbs of Boston before she found a church that taught the same thing that had had changed her son's lives. When they found it, they knew it. And on the Monday, after attending the first service at that church, she was in the pastor's office asking him to explain to her the message that had changed her boy's lives because she wanted it. And that day, she prayed and received it. Now that's the stock that I come from. Stick with me. Add to that, I'm the youngest of four siblings. I have three olders, all very strong opinions, never waiting for another, always taking initiative, leading. One was an entrepreneur. Two of us were sent to far-flung corners of the world to start churches where people didn't have them. Another ended up in high levels of federal law enforcement. That determination translates into all kinds of behavior, good and bad. Leadership, that's good. Impulsiveness, that can be bad. Initiative, that's good. But now, let me take it down to the everyday occurrence. When the police officer pulls me over for doing 48 in a 35, hypothetically speaking, I shouldn't get a ticket. Why not, you say? Because I'm simply the product of my family of leaders who take initiative, who don't wait for other people to move. To, to move. We have somewhere to go. We have things to do. We can't be held back by a silly little sign on the side of the road with a number on it. Officer, you don't get it. I am a product of my past. You can send that ticket to my father. Better yet, send it to my grandmother. She'll explain everything. How ridiculous is that? You are a sinner by nature, but you are also a sinner by choice and empowered by volition for which you are responsible. Cause. This is how sin is possible, and that's why you're responsible. And that has led to a disposition. This is what we are prone to. This is why it keeps happening. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 2, we see a zoomed-in version of that creation emphasizing the creation of mankind, Adam and Eve. And we see an order of events that becomes important. Adam is created and he's put into the garden to tend it. He's told in chapter 2 the instructions to enjoy all of the garden, but not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then... Eve is made from Adam's rib. This becomes important later when she's tempted and deceived by the serpent. In chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent accuses God of not letting them eat from any of the trees. She, in verse 2, is able to explain and correct that. How was that? She wasn't there when when the news first came. Well, because Adam had done his job of explaining exactly what the rules were to her when she was given to him. Fast forward now, when she takes the fruit in verse 6, she took some of it and ate it. Then she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And there the die is cast. 
our dispositions. Man was given the leadership. He was to explain, to subdue creation, tend the garden, protect and provide. Eve was his partner. Without her, he was incomplete. She was to be the indispensable part of all that they were to pursue and explore and discover and have dominion over. He was meant to protect the very flesh of his flesh and the bone of his bone. He didn't. She acted. And from that point on, we have these two tendencies, these dispositions. Men towards spiritual passivity. We don't act when and how we should. And women to filling the void created by the passivity of that man. Eve was deceived, but they both bear the curse of the sin they committed. Adam was not in some other part of the garden tending things and came back and found out she was in trouble and so like a hero took the fall with her so that she wouldn't go down alone. He was with her. He sinned as she did by not stepping in and protecting. And though this shows up in various ways and degrees, I believe it accurately reflects the dispositions we have as men and women that perpetuate this cycle of hurt and pain that keeps happening. We have inherited a sin nature that results in these natural behaviors that perpetuate the hurt we inflict on each other. And listen to me carefully. These natural behaviors manifest themselves in various forms of control, of aggression, of resistance, of manipulation, of anger, of violence. These are the dispositions we are prone toward. And that's why this jacket is such a mess. And as if that weren't enough, there's one more thing that makes this situation even worse, and that's fear. This is what sin produces, and this is why we hurt each other. Answer this question. After Adam and Eve had sinned, Why did they hide from God when He walked in the garden? The fact is, they were naked. The feeling that they had was fear. And it is that feeling that drives so much of what we do and what we fail to do in our lives. I'm about to give you a secret, and I can't unwrap this. I'll give you a place where you can go and read about it and find out more. But there are two primal fears that drive men and women the primal fear of a man that touches deep and comes and is rooted deep in his soul is one of inadequacy. Am I competent? Can I do it? Am I up to the task? I fear that I will fail. Women, their deepest fear is will I be accepted? Am I still truly loved? Is it still true? How can I know he or they always will love me? Those two fears, different as they are, unfortunately get played off one against the other and we make our situation so much worse. I suggest to you men this book called Wild at Heart by John um, Eldridge. As it says on the bottom, discovering the secret of a man's soul. It will touch your soul. I actually find women that can't understand that book. What I can tell you is, women, you will appreciate 
what it does to your husband or other men in your life if they will apply it so you don't have to get it <laughs> but I encourage everyone to read that it will touch your soul it will describe you in ways you've never thought perhaps anybody ever knew but let me keep going let me go back to the fears I think we see clearly these fears in the blaming Adam blaming Eve and so on why does Adam blame Eve because he was not up to the task and the most fear instilling thing for a man to admit is that he wasn't capable competent strong enough brave enough acting in the moment as a man as he needed to be and even unwittingly we aggravate each other's fears and we hurt each other man fears he's not capable so woman loses confidence in the man woman losing confidence seeks assurance of his love fearing that he won't accept her and love her anymore and as the man fails to express his appreciation and commitment he does so because he's distracted by his own fear and the two of them spiral into greater fear and reciprocal hurt reacting to their own fears I know I've given you a tremendous amount of information there let me speak a little bit to this complexity. My conclusions come out of my own reading and observation over the years and what I believe are foundational causes and the results of the spiritual problems that we have. And I understand these things from what the Bible says and what leads to so many other problems. A few observations about what has caused and motivates these issues is not enough to deal with them properly. This only explains the root of the problem and this is why we need a context to hear and discuss patterns and ways these behaviors play out as we treat each other the way we do. That's why Saturday evening is so important. Or if some of these things are touching you in ways that you didn't know or realize or deeply you recognize, maybe you need to seek some professional help. I encourage that. Our ability to lie to ourselves is one of our greatest abilities. At the same time, there is a working of God in your conscience that prompts you and you need to investigate that. Whether you are acting in ways that you know that you shouldn't or someone else is acting in ways they shouldn't towards you. This is digging deeper as to why there is trouble in the house. How our pride and privilege can actually hurt our relationships with those that we we say we love most now that's just sobering serious and important but it isn't without hope I want to give you some hope this morning before we leave also out of this original story we find because of what you caused he came verses 8 and 9 he came walking in the garden. He came to the garden. This was his desire to keep the relationship. You see, we, whenever we're hurt, we tend to pull away, don't we? One of the hardest things for us to do when we get offended or hurt or, is to actually uh, move forward and try and figure out what happened. The God of all creation moved towards those who had so deeply offended him, knowing that he would actually be the one to pay the price for what they did. And then he calls out to them who were hiding. This was his willingness to seek what was lost. It's not like he didn't know where they were. He's God. <laughs> but he wanted them to know that he was looking for them. Because of what you caused, He came. And He comes near. He knows your situation. 
for some of you, that might be comforting. If you find yourself in a very difficult situation, you need to know you are not alone. Now, that's not enough, but it is helpful. It is comforting. If you're a perpetrator, you know that you're doing some things that you shouldn't. I want you to know that you're not unseen. That God sees what you're doing. But the same compassionate God stands before you in your garden, knowing your need, wanting to help you in that need. Because of what you caused, He came. Because of your fear, He protected. Here we have this interesting uh, account of verses 21 through 24 where He makes garments for them and then He puts the cherubim around the tree of life and says, don't go anywhere near that tree. Now that shows us a couple of things. First of all, He's the one who makes them garments to cover their shame. It's the initial picture of the shedding of blood necessary for the eventual remission of sin. This is the provision for now and then this sacrificial system will point towards the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. But then also, there is this discussion of protection regarding the tree of life. The open, intimate presence of God had been lost. Without God's intervention, that would have been permanent if they had eaten from the tree of life. Only through His accessing the tree of life for them would it be possible for man in his fallen condition to not remain separated from God forever. So basically, God looks at him and says, I've got this. Don't go near that tree. I'll take care of that. This is going to take some time, but we begin to see some symbols that point to the meaning of that tree. The cherubim guard the tree. The cherubim then show up later as the, uh, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of the very presence of God, which is held within the Holy of Holies that no one can go into because only God dwells there except for the high priest who went in just one time of year to offer atonement for the people of Israel. But then when Christ completes His work on the cross, the veil around that Holy of Holies is torn from the top to the bottom. And Hebrews tells us that access is opened up once again. Of course, I have to tell you about Italy. In Milan, Italy, the Duomo is the single largest piece of Gothic architecture of its kind in the world. And around that that cathedral, just above eye level, are a set of sculptures, panels like you see on the right. And unfortunately, I couldn't find the one because it's it's a... it's ignominious. People don't recognize or realize what it is. I just put one up there. You can see that's David and Goliath, right? He's got his foot on him. He's got the sword in his hand. He's got his head in his hand. There's another one that represents the tree of life. You see the cherubim? You see the garden? And you see a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The very picture of protecting from and provision through. Because if you had gone to your own cross, you would have died in your sins. Instead, He went to that place for you because you couldn't go there and rise from the dead. Isn't that beautiful? 
And then because of your disposition, He provided. And of course, this is Genesis 3.15. The seed of the gospel, in cursing the serpent, He offers a promise. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And here it is. He will crush your head, and you will strike His heel. The story as it unfolds will play out between those that come after Eve and the serpent. The offspring of Eve will crush the head of the serpent as he strikes the heel of that offspring. This is a picture of Satan's wounding of Christ in the crucifixion on the cross. And then, by dying in our place and rising from the dead, we have the conquering of death, hell, and Satan's power crushed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the provision of salvation for those who will believe in that. Satan is conquered by his very act of violence against Christ. That did not make the act of violence okay. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But because of your disposition, he provided what was necessary to save you from yourself. The jacket's a mess because unfortunately all of us live in the reality of inflicting wounds and pain on others that we say we love most because of the reasons that we've explained today. In our fear that leads to blame, we see ourselves in filthy jackets and others in those same rags and so it's easier to attack them than it is to deal with our own mess. If you're a perpetrator, you need to realize that to attack attack another is to attack one who is robed in Christ's righteousness. You have no place in doing that. And if you're a victim, you need to understand the the act of violence is not okay. Christ took our place. That was not meant for us. Well, it was not meant for us to go there by His plan. We deserved it. We should have. But He, by His design and His protection, said, You will not go there if you will trust in what I do for you there. So, you are not supposed to, if you are a victim, go to that kind of cross. Both you and the perpetrator need help. Now, I can't possibly know what situation you might be in. But I know that He does. And that calls for self-examination on the part of every one of us. And His work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal what area needs to be addressed. As you feel the stress and conflict and frustration that exists in these tendencies that we have, go back to your own fears and your own natural tendencies. and Find out where the jacket is torn in your life. Own what is yours that you have caused. You can't blame it on anybody else. And then go to the one who came, who protects, who provides. We're about to sing a hymn or a song of response. From the inside out, a thousand times I've failed. Still your mercy 
remains. But then in the chorus it says, My heart and my soul, I give you control. Call for Him to take control of us and implicitly of our situation. And let's ask the Lord to do what He means to do in addressing these very painful issues we may find ourselves in. Heavenly Father, would You grant us Your wisdom and Your grace. We trust Your Holy Spirit to work as only He can to open our eyes to where we are, each one. I trust you, and I ask you to work to protect those in danger, to help those in need, to convict those at fault, and to work to heal. I pray for courage for us to respond and obey as you would call us to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.